Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. Well, there's no one exact biblical reference that Psalm 60 is discussing. Most biblical scholars agree that based on the context clues that we get in this passage, King David wrote this in the midst of a campaign to conquer and unite the surrounding lands around Israel because it was the land that God had promised to his people. In the prelude to this verse, we read about David's clash with the Aramean people to the north and the Edomites to the south. And we read that while Joab, who was the commander over Israel's army, was victorious in his battle, We might understand by the inclusion of the multiple lands and peoples groups that we get in this that David is lamenting over the losses of his people. Because in war, even if you win a battle, you still face losses and death. And we might imagine that David, as king over Israel, who commanded these men to go into battle, might take upon himself some of the weight of their deaths. David is experiencing the darkness of suffering the darkness of death and defeat. And in this frustration and in this sadness, David turns to God in Psalm 60, and he asks, why has God turned away from his people? Why has God withdrawn himself from the armies of Israel? And as we explore this psalm today, I hope you see this, that even when God feels far, he is drawing near to us. Even when God feels far, he is drawing near to us. And I want to speak about this passage through two main points this morning. One, feeling far, and two, drawing near. So that's one, feeling far, and two, drawing near. Starting with point one, feeling far. Part of the reason that God feels far from the Israelites might be because David had just taken the throne after Saul. The Israelites had been facing major losses at the hands of their enemies because God had turned his favor away from Saul due to his acts of evil. We see this often of God with the Israelites when the Israelites decide to go against God's orders and disobey. And God allows them to wander in the desert for 40 years to be tormented by serpents, to have their kingdoms and homes destroyed and be sent into exile. God, as any loving father does, allows his children to face the consequences of their actions and learn truth in the midst of their suffering. But now David has taken the throne in this kingdom broken by sin, this kingdom which is wounded by suffering, and it's defeated by outside forces. David feels the effects of Saul's sin on his people. He has inherited a nation that God has turned his face from. We read in verse 1 that God has rejected his people. David says he is angry with them for their years of disobedience. David in this chapter understands that God has turned away from Israel and allowed them to face painful defeat and loss in battle. In verse 3, we read that David says God has made his people to see difficult things, has caused them to stagger. 
from the consequences of their sin and because of the wound of suffering from the brokenness of creation, God has allowed David and his people to experience the darkness of war and death. David is suffering and he's wondering, where is God in this? David is pleading with God as if asking, if we are your people, why would you turn from us? Why would you let us experience difficult things in this life? Why would you let us lose? And I know that we would like to have the full and complete reason for why God does what he does, why God lets us suffer. And we want to know God's reason for all things, but if we did know why God did all that he does, then he would not be God, and we would not need faith. What we do know, though, is that sin and suffering are real. We don't need to be convinced of that. And we know that in our disobedience, we choose sin. And due to sin, this world is broken and we suffer. And we know that in the midst of these things, God can feel far away. And it seems like he has turned his face from us. And in the same way, David feels rejected. God's people are face to face with the darkness of the world. And at the time when they need him most, God feels distant. Does God ever seem distant to you? I know that in the midst of my suffering, he does. When things are difficult, or when the world seems like too much, when suffering is overwhelming, I can feel far from God. And I wonder, where is God in all of this darkness? Because I'm having a hard time seeing the light. Suffering has a unique ability to make us start asking these questions. It's one of the main reasons people have a hard time believing in God in the first place. In our suffering, we can start to feel like God is distant, like, where is God? God is not here. He can't be. But I think about it like in some ways when we get sick, or if you have allergies, or you get a sore throat, or like me this week, I have a canker sore right in the front of my mouth. And when in these present pains, it's easy to forget what it ever felt like to feel healthy what it felt like to breathe without a stuffy nose, what it felt like to eat without a sore throat, or to talk without the pain of a canker sore. And I think that this general feeling of forgetfulness increases with suffering. When finances are tough, we might forget what it was ever like to feel secure. When we face depression, we might forget what it was ever like to feel joy. When we struggle with anxiety, we might forget what it was like to feel peace. When we face bodily harm and our bodies breaking down, we forget what it was like to feel healthy. And in these times when God feels far, we can forget what it was ever like when he felt when he was near. When God seems to be not there, where is it that you turn for help? We forget his place as our Lord and our Savior in our lives, and the temptation is we have to save ourselves. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. If God is far, then I must do this on my own. I must find my own solution. And for some of us, the solution is to work harder. Maybe we can work our way to safety and security. Maybe we can earn salvation from our problems. But for others, maybe it's numbing the pain. Alcohol or other drugs. Doom-scrolling on our phones for hours on the internet. Binge-watching TV shows. 
Maybe we can save ourselves from our problems by numbing them or distracting ourselves until we don't really care that there are problems anymore. But look what David says in verse 11. Vain is the salvation of man. David knows that all of our devices and our solutions to try and find salvation are futility. They're nothing. David knows that if we work for salvation, that just leads to exhaustion and defeat. Numbing only leads to hopelessness and pushing our problems down the road for them to grow in severity at some point later in our lives. Vain, says David, are our attempts at salvation. They get us nowhere. There is no salvation without God. So then what is there to do when God feels far? Point two, drawing near. How does David work through his frustrations and his fears of having God be distanced from him? Look with me at verse four. David writes this. He says, you have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow. And this verse is so vital to the meaning of the passage that David inputs a pause. It's notated by the Selah. David is emphasizing that even though he and Israel have suffered heavy losses in battle, even though they have faced death and feel defeated, that there is a power in being able to rally under the banner of God. Charles Spurgeon writes it this way, There is so much in the fact of a banner being given to the host of Israel, so much of hope, of duty, of comfort, that a pause is fitly introduced. The sense justifies it, and the more joyful strain of music necessitates it. But what is it about a banner? Banners at this time were carried into battle and served a few purposes. They went before the army to declare who they were. They told the enemy who they were fighting. They were a rallying point during the battle for soldiers who, in the midst of the battle and the fray, they could look up and they could see where they could return to for safety. And they were also raised at the end of the battle in victory. For David to use this imagery of a banner in battle is to represent how God is with his people and to remind him that God goes before his people, God is with his people, and it is only through God who victory is gained. David knows that even when God feels far from him, God has not abandoned David. God has not left his people behind. Even in the face of suffering, when armies and lost battles and waged war is against the people of Israel, God has set his banner up for his people to return to. David has a faith that even though God has allowed him and his people to suffer, that God has not abandoned them. This banner that God sets up is one that his people can trust in, but why? It's because who it represents. And God, through the writing of David in this psalm, reminds his people who he is, why his banner is comforting, and why he has not abandoned them. He does this in verses 6 through 8. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the vale of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my washbasin, upon Edom I cast my shoe, over Philistia I shout in triumph. What is God doing here? 
He's reminding his people Israel of the promise that he made to their ancestor Abraham. His promise, uh, these lands he mentioned, would be given to them. He's saying, this land is mine, and I'm giving it to you. But what does that mean? That even when God seems distant, even when the battles are lost, even when death and suffering seems overwhelming, God is faithful to his people and he has never left them. Even in his temporary distance, God is, has been, and will always be near to those whom he loves. And in this temporary time where his people were left to defeat and to suffer, God kept his promise, and he kept his banner planted for his people to return to. God drew his people nearer to him through his distance, despite their suffering. This is, has been, and will always be true of our God. He is always sure to keep his promises. He is always sure to draw near to you and to be faithful to his people. And we see this most importantly and most clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God drew so near to us that he was willing to take on humanity and keep the promise he made when Adam and Eve first disobeyed him. He promised to gain victory over sin. But Jesus' story leading up to his death was actually one of earthly defeat. Homeless, a criminal, abandoned by his friends, publicly humiliated, tortured, and put to death. Jesus, like David, faced the extreme weight of sinfulness in his kingdom. Jesus, like David, knew what it was like to feel the curse of sin and a distance from God because of that sin. Jesus, like David, faced crushing defeat at the hands of his enemies. But Jesus, greater than David, was able to take on that sin, keep the promise made at the fall, and redeem the world through his death and resurrection. And if God was faithful to his people Israel and to David, if God kept his promise to Abraham to be with his descendants, if God was faithful to keep his promise to send a Savior, how much more can we be sure that God keeps his promise to us that he is coming back to make all things new and to dwell with us forever? Listen to the promise we get in Revelation 21.3. John writes this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There will be a day when he will draw so near to us that his dwelling place will be with us, his people, forever. And that will be the last time that we feel distant from our God. This knowledge that God has always kept his promise to his people births a faith that trusts in God to draw his light near to us in a time of darkness. At the end of the movie version of The Two Towers in the Lord of the Rings series, Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee find themselves in the city of Osgiliath. For those of you that are not familiar with this story, please watch the movies or read the books. I think it's kind of like a Presbyterian rite of passage at this point. But Frodo and Sam have been tasked with the duty of carrying the One Ring to, to Mount Doom in the land of Mordor, where it is to be cast into the fires of the volcano and bring an end to the reign of the evil Lord Sauron, who is attempting to take over the lands of Middle-earth. 
And in the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo and Sam set out with a party of nine heroes who fight enemies and cross dangerous terrain in order to make their way closer to Mordor. But as the story goes on, Frodo and Sam end up separating from the fellowship, and they set out to destroy the ring on their own. And when we find them in Osgiliath at the end of the second movie, Frodo and Sam have been captured by an army of men who desire to use the ring for their own power. But when Sauron's forces attack, Frodo and Sam are set free by the leader of the army, and battered and alone, they set out again for Mordor. But at this point in the story, faced by the death of his friends and the constant battles and hardships and the dread of being captured by men who were greedy for power and feeling distance from his friends and the fellowship that once helped him on his way, Frodo is feeling an intense amount of despair and darkness and loneliness. And Sam, seeing this, says this to Frodo. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, but sometimes you didn't want to know the end, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. The hope that Sam depicts in this story is the message of Psalm 60. And I think it's the thematic message of the Psalms that we spent time in this summer. That there will be suffering in this life. There will be evil. There will be pain and there will be darkness and there will be enemies and defeat and we will face injustice, and we will struggle with sin and be tempted by idols. And there will be time amidst all of these things that God feels so very distant. And the temptation will be to try to save ourselves from those things. We will be tempted to try to numb the pain, to try and defeat the evil, to create our own light in the shadow, and to work hard enough to overcome our own sin. But with God alone, there is victory over evil. With God alone, there is freedom from sin. There is a light in the darkness, and even in the times when he feels distant, God is drawing all the nearer to us. Look to his banner and draw near to your God in the hope and the faith that he will keep his promises. He will make all things new. And as David says in verse 12, with God, we will do valiantly. Let's pray. Lord God, I know for some in this room right now, you feel distant. There are many of us going through hard times, Lord God, and many of us going through pain and suffering, but God, I pray that you might draw near to us. Guide us with your comfort, Lord. Forgive us of our efforts to seek our own salvation, and let us rest in the faith that you have already given it to us. Remind us of who we are in you and unite us to your victory, God. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.